I'm going to start out with a video clip. I, I want to set it up a little bit tonight. We're, we're doing a series on Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're talking about unity. We're talking about how God designed the church with, to be really this mystery where people who are very different come together, they're put together by the Holy Spirit, held together by the Spirit. And tonight we're going to begin looking at uh, this big goal that we have that, you know, I, I think about, it was, remember the Titans, that football movie about, yeah, segregation, and then they come together. When there's something big, when there's something important out there, a lot of times it can help people who are different come together. We're going to talk a little, a little bit about that tonight. I've got kind of a weird video clip, so I did want to say a word about it. I did just want to pop, pop it up there because it's kind of, for, it's a movie, Big Fish, it's a strange little movie, but this kid in this movie has this wild imagination, and at one point, he has this moment, the coin drops, this huge idea hits him, and it changes his life from then on. So we'll watch this clip, and then we'll talk about some scripture tonight from Ephesians 4. I was intended for something larger, and that is what Paul is going to tell us in Ephesians 4. As we get down to the middle of the chapter tonight, he's going to remind them of this calling that God has put on their lives. He has gifted them with the Holy Spirit. He has given them these ones that we talked about, one spirit, one Lord, uh, one God, one faith, one hope. Um, he has, yeah, he, he's called them to something big. He hasn't equipped them with all of this because he has a small task in mind. And that boy reading that encyclopedia article about goldfish, how, you know, if they're in a larger bowl, if they're in a larger space, they tend to grow larger. And from that, he has that life-changing idea, I need a bigger space. Um, God has prepared me for bigger things. And so that idea is very much at work in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to find this big space for you and I to grow up into. This space is Jesus Christ, right? Throughout the New Testament, we are in Christ. We are no longer in ourselves. And so our ambitions, things like, you know, I just hope I can get another promotion at work, uh, get a little bit bigger house, get a little bit newer, more expensive car. Those are petty ambitions now. In Christ, we have bigger dreams put before us, God-sized dreams, impossible dreams. And, uh, and so we're going to play that out a little bit. So we've got to get out of ourselves and into Christ. Uh, as long as I live, as long as we live in the small, confined spaces of our natural desires, our wants, the pattern of this world, uh, selfishness, personal ambition, we won't grow big. We won't become Jesus-sized people uh, and grow into our God-given potential. So Paul is going to talk to the church in Ephesus about the danger of remaining small. And so he's going to talk about this idea that you can uh, become a Christian but fail to grow, remain kind of in the nursery, remain kind of a toddler, remain in diapers, if you will. And he's going to say, that's not God's plan for you. His plan for you is to grow up. So we'll pick it up in verse 14, Ephesians 4. Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here, blown there, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Here's the alternative. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things, what? We will in all things grow up into 
him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What a beautiful image. I mean, these contrasting images, the infant or the person who's growing and maturing into all of this great stuff that God has for him. So as believers, I think we can say that we escape uh, the tiny confines of our personal ambitions, of our small dreams, uh, as we grow into Jesus, verse 15, and as we grow from Jesus, as he powers the growth, verse 16. And importantly for Paul, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we do this together. We are held together. We are members of this body. And so we grow stronger when we grow together. Um, So here's where we're headed. This is verses 12 and 13 in that same chapter. That the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith, all unity in the faith, and knowledge in the Son of God, and we become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow, okay? Wow. Attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. And this is what we've been doing on Sunday evenings recently. We've been kind of paying attention to these ancient words from Paul, from this message. And one of our important aims is not just, in fact, anytime we open the Scripture... It's not just to hear what Paul is saying to the Romans or the, or the Philippians over here. It's, it's to hear what he's saying to us. And to do that first, we need to hear what he's saying to that original audience. But he is talking to us here. And so from his Roman imprisonment, Paul writes to believers in Ephesus. He implores them, beginning of the chapter, to be united. He shows them how together with each other, together with the Spirit of God, they can grow into this largeness, into this bigness, the fullness of Christ. Well, we're going to consider this journey together, a journey that we are on together as believers, a journey that Let's just say the Holy Spirit is driving the bus here. We're not driving the bus. And it is a journey to help each other mature and develop into this fullness, into this image of Christ. And Paul says this to the folks in Ephesus, and he's saying it tonight, I think, to the folks right here. Okay. So back to chapter 4, verse 4. This is like the verse we're reading pretty much every week, right? Just kind of setting the tone each week. Um, But this is from the message, so it sounds a little bit different. Paul says... You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. Now that's a recipe for a good road trip right there. Everybody together, traveling in the same direction, and they are all staying together. And that's us. We're disciples following Jesus on the same road. Now, I think probably in this room, most all of us have, probably all of us have experience with road trips, road trips back in the day, whenever that was for you, maybe road trips today if you have small kids today, and over the decades, I mean, I haven't been around that long, but over my lifetime, I've seen pretty dramatic changes in the road trip, and I bet you have too. As a kid, the speed limit was what? When I was a kid in the 70s? 55, 55. So just do the math on that. So just know road trips were longer back in the day. 
It took longer, Jerry, to get to Amarillo back in the day. It took longer to get to Colorado back in the day. And there were no iPhones. There were no iPads. There were no tablets. There were no DVD players in the cars. There were no DVD players, period. Um, yeah, eight-track cassette maybe, right? You with me? So they took longer. They, they felt longer, too, right? Um, kids these days, <laughs> they've got it so good, right? Now, if you're like me, you weren't an only child, and that complicated the road trip even further. Um, if you had siblings, you probably associate family road trips with acts of violence. <laughs> Hear me, you know where I'm going with this, right? Siblings trapped in the back seat of a station wagon or a Caprice or an LTD or something. Um, trapped together in that back seat for eight hours or more, somewhere along the way on an average family road trip, the excitement, the giggles, the tickling, the alphanet, alphabet bingo, the stuckies, um, the goodwill of the first leg of the family road trip morphed into something different. The excitement morphed into boredom, and then poking, and then hair pulling, <laughs> and yes, perhaps, maybe even you attained the level of biting before the road trip was over. I don't know how your family was. And well, eventually, eventually, eventually dad, all right? Uh, dad would get involved, and back in the day, there were kind of, I'm gonna, at least for us, there were three levels of family law enforcement on the road trip. Um, I would say level one, let's call this DEFCON 3. So not an all-out war at this point, but we're getting heated. DEFCON 3, in that loud dad voice, if you're a dad, you have that level. You can put that gear in. Hey, hey, that loud dad voice, am I going to have to pull this car over? right? DEFCON 2. If that doesn't work, there is the arm, the right arm. And uh, since he's driving, since he's watching the road, he can't really see where the arm is going, so the, the arm just kind of swings and tries to make contact with so soft tissue in the back seat somewhere, right? Um, it stretches, it strains, it flails, it makes contact with kids, any kid. It doesn't matter which kid. It doesn't, it, you know. And it was always better, it was... It was always better to get the seat directly behind dad because dad, it doesn't, you know, he can't unhinge that thing. So you don't want to be in the middle. That's probably the, the real danger zone there. Uh, the chance of, uh, of him getting an arm around to, to hit you right behind him was pretty low. DEFCON 1, though, the nuclear option. This involved dad actually pulling the car over. I think that only happened for us once, maybe twice. You know, the, the whir of the road, the sound, the boom, 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 all of a sudden there's the gravel sound as that car has pulled off the highway and the party was over. 
Well, Paul addresses, it's a family road trip. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he addresses this journey and he calls out childishness and immaturity that is a part of the journey. It happens. Uh, he calls that out in verses 14 to 16. And, it, and Paul says, don't be like that anymore. In other words, you're supposed to grow up. It's okay when you just get to know Christ. Yes, you're here. You're immature. You're, you're, you're childish about some things. But you are supposed to grow. You're supposed to get bigger. And so here goes. Just a few sources of spiritual immaturity. Things that keep Christians in the nursery, so to speak. Um, let's start with this one. Paul says, one thing that keeps Christians from growing up is a failure to grasp the basic truths of the gospel. Right? They may know them up here, but, but to really understand them, to master the basic truths of the gospel. So one of the barriers is ignorance. Right? It's just not knowing the truths. Um, big contributor to, that, that stunts people's growth in Christ leads to spiritual immaturity. Paul is going to say it is being tossed and blown about by every new wind of teaching, being influenced by folks, he says, who try to manipulate and trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So Ephesus, obviously, some of us, have, probably several of us have been to Ephesus before. Real cosmopolitan kind of place. Um, a lot of teachers, philosophers, gurus, just coming through town constantly, kind of on the circuit there, right? Often a little Christian seasoning was thrown in to spice it up. Jesus was a big deal, by the way. Um, I mean, you know that. But I mean, even, even for those that weren't really devoted disciples... His death, burial, resurrection, word got around, and, and a lot of non-Christian philosophies and non-Christian uh, teachings, they threw a little bit of Jesus in there just to kind of spice it up, to, to jazz it up a little bit. In fact, some of these Gnostic Gospels that get uncovered, that's what they are. It's just, hey, let's take this Egyptian uh, spiritualism and put some Jesus in there to attract more people or whatever. So that was going on a lot, and it confused people. One of the very earliest strong um, false teachings uh, was this one. Jesus did not physically come back from the dead. And that, that's an old one. Uh, that was a big one. It got a lot of traction. Um, yes, they would say, yeah, he came back. Um, but he came back from the dead in a, in a, in a spiritual way, Right? In kind of a mystical way, in, in, in this metaphysical sense. And when you say words like that, like metaphysical and spiritual, I mean, you sound smart all of a sudden, right? Um, and it even sounds kind of spiritual. Um, and around the Roman world, a variety of religions and philosophies of the day considered, in fact, I would say the vast majority of them considered the physical to be bad or to be evil. Um, at the center of that was the physical body. It, it was a bad thing. And so, consequently, it was commonly accepted that the body, the physical body, was bad. Salvation is when you die and you are liberated from the physical body. And that may even sound true to some Christians today who don't properly understand what the resurrection is going to be like for us. We're going to have bodies. 
That's all 1 Corinthians 15. That's Paul's just making these. You are going to have a body. But coming from the first century, and that still influences us, no, bodies are bad. Um, salvation is getting rid of your body. And so th- this is, uh, th- they said from this, Jesus didn't physically raise from the dead. His resurrection wasn't a bodily one, uh, only raised in some mystical, ethereal, spiritual sense, and that is heresy. And that's a false teaching. But it was making the rounds, and it was getting some traction with people. The Gospels, in fact, we, could, we won't spend much time on this, but the Gospels make this concerted effort to affirm. In fact, you may kind of scratch your head sometimes, why is this happening in the Gospels? But what they're doing is they are documenting, they're providing evidence, they're making this case that Jesus was killed on the cross, his body was laid in the ground, and he physically resurrected. He had a body. I mean, why is Jesus in the last chapter of John, why is he cooking breakfast beach at the Sea of Galilee and then enjoying this breakfast with Peter, James, and John? Um, Why is Jesus saying, hey, Thomas, come over here and touch me. Feel my hands and my feet. Um, Why? Because the apostles thought, he's, remember, he's a ghost. I'm not a ghost. It's me. I'm here. I have a body. So this post-resurrection Jesus uh, stuff that Jesus does, like fixing the bread and inviting people to touch his body, stuff like that, that mattered because if Christ wasn't physically raised, then we have no assurance that we will be physically raised. Um, so the New Testament takes these pains to establish that his resurrection was a bodily resurrection, And the Ephesians who didn't know this basic truth, and this is a basic one, that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, uh, they were vulnerable to these philosophies and these gurus and these, these pagan religions, and their growth as disciples could be stunted, right, because of that. Um, they could fail to grow into the bigness that God had for them. Now, are there still false teachings in, in circulation today? Yeah. There are some. Uh, How about the prosperity gospel, right? If you accept Jesus and you have enough faith, your problems are over. It's money, it's wealth, it's, it's your kids getting straight A's and being stars on the soccer team. I mean, it is all good. And, oh, if you've got a problem in your life, if you get a bad diagnosis or something bad happens, it's because you didn't have enough faith. That prosperity gospel is insidious because it plays on what we wish were true, what we would like to be true. It, it plays on the carnal, basically, right? Uh, or this, this idea that all roads lead to heaven. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what religion you, you practice or, you know, just be sincere, be a good person. All roads lead, lead to heaven. I would say all roads lead to judgment, <laughs> Hebrews 9.27, but all roads lead to heaven. Now, ignorance stunts this growth. If we don't have a solid foundation, if we don't grasp the basic truths, we can't stand firm. And another thing Paul says that keeps Christians um, from growing is this. It's a failure, and this gets back to this vision. What is this about as a disciple? This vision of being more and more like Jesus. 
Uh, I am not the same person today that I was five, ten years ago, and I hope I'm not the same person in five or ten years that I am today. I hope I keep growing. I really, I've got a lot of room to keep growing. I need to do a lot of growing, and so do you. Um, that's the goal, to be more and more like Jesus. It is a lifelong process. And, you know, if we make it all about the baptism, off, ah, we can just get him in the baptistry, we get him dunked, mission accomplished, hang the banner up, mission accomplished. Well, Jesus would say, baptism is a birth, right? John 3, it's a, it's a new birth. Uh, that means it's, it's great. We celebrate births. I mean, we, yeah, let's pass out some balloons. And if you're not Church of Christ, maybe a cigar or two um, to celebrate the birth. Have a, have a sip and see or, or a shower or something. But if that baby is still this size in three or four years, that's not good. That's not healthy. All right? Uh, so we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to develop. We're supposed to become more and more like Jesus. Um, and if you have a two-year-old child and they are healthy, in one year they will weigh more than they do today, right? <laughs> they will know more than they know. They will have more words. They will have more talents. Uh, you know, they go, they, the kids at this church, it's fun to watch them, right? First, they, they learn, how, they, you get them to smile, you know, they're maybe eight months old, they'll smile at you. Eventually, you get them to give you a high five, and then you get them to give you a fist bump. Next thing you know, they're walking, you know. It's so fun to watch that. But kids grow, they develop. In Christ, we grow, we develop. We become more and more like Jesus. Healthy disciples grow into this largeness of Jesus. The end run isn't just to get baptized and then park. <laughs> it's to morph. It's to grow as a disciple and learn. That disciple is a learner. Amen? Now, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are they growing in my life? Or are they stagnant? And these fruits of the Spirit perfectly describe the character of Jesus, don't they? And so we want to be more like Jesus. We want to grow in those things. And whether you're 23 or 83 or 103, a sure mark of spiritual immaturity is stagnation. Now, another sign that a Christian is locked in, shall we say, toddler mode is this, not showing love for the church of Christ, the church of Jesus, the church of God. Not showing love, and I just put indifference. Church, yeah, it doesn't matter, you know. And, and I think we, I'll just say this, I think we live in a particularly insidious time and I love the internet. I am a huge fan of the internet. I love that we can get podcasts and watch, watch worship services or hear our favorite speakers on YouTube or stuff like that. I, I love that. It's great. Um, but the struggle, and we were talking about this in staff meeting this week. Um, the struggle is this idea of belonging to a community, right? A, belonging to brothers and sisters who know me who know the diagnosis that my wife just got. My, by the way, that's 
fictitious, okay? She's doing great. Um, but, but they know what's going on in my life. They know that my kid has a struggle with this. They know that that idea of, of, of community, of being in a church, it's, it's I'm not going to say it's under attack because I don't feel like it's intentional, um, but it's, it's getting diluted and we're kind of losing that mooring, aren't we, a little bit. And so you kind of get church tourists, you know, that they, they kind of have dual, mem- we were talking about that, you know, they kind of have dual membership or tri member. You know, I go to this church and I go to this church and I drop my kids off over here at this event and then we go do this thing. But they're not really known. They're not really part of that family sometimes. And so there's this call to say, hey, that's great that, that you have a relationship with this other congregation or this other church. Awesome, wonderful. Pray for those people. But you need a place to belong, right? Um, you need a place where your brother your sister, and people know you, and they care about the details of your life, uh, not just caring about you in general. Um, and so this, Paul's going to talk really about how, how this fleshes out, this, this lack of commitment uh, to, the, to the group, to the church family. And one thing is a failure to speak the truth in love. Right? I love that idea, speaking the truth in love. Um, someone who just simply speaks the truth could be a bully, right? You want someone, a true friend is going to speak the truth in love. Um, and so verse 15, he says, we will speak the truth in love. And the second part of this, uh, of just belonging to the church, of being committed to the church, uh, the, the problem is when I fail to do my part to help the church grow. When I am unhelpful, you know, God, we've talked, we talked about this last week. God has loaded you up with gifts. He has loaded you up with talents. He has loaded you up with resources. He has, he has equipped you, right? I mean, he has packed you down with really helpful stuff from your, your personality to the time that you have, to the money that you have, to some gifts and talents that you have, to, to relationships that you have, influence and networks that you have out there. And so he equips you because he's got work for you to do. Does that make sense? I mean, he's got stuff he wants you to do. And so Paul says in verse 16, I love this, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. My translation of this would be, do your job. Just do your job. Um, work to build people up around you. And we talked about those gifts. Maturity on the journey involves investing in the family of God, in the common good of the Christian family. It's not always easy. And there are a lot of different reasons. But it's not always easy because, A, you're not always going to agree with everybody in the family of God. You don't have to amen that. We all know that's true. There are going to be differences of opinion, different ideas about things. You're not always going to agree with all of the believers around you about every little thing all the time. And B, full disclosure, it's going to be hard because, frankly, sometimes there are people in the family of God who can, who can be a little difficult. Um, a little difficult to serve, a little difficult to love. And Paul says, do your job, do your part. He says, speak the truth, speak the truth in love. Uh, keep encouraging, keep doing your part no matter what anyone else is doing. And this is probably, 
I'm thinking tonight, this would be a good place to pause. Originally, I was going to talk about, this is just the negative stuff he talks about, so we'll get to the positive stuff next week. Um, but, but some of the things that keep us from growing, that's what we've been talking about tonight. And next week, we'll talk about the things that can actually help us to grow. But I was writing the lesson this week, and I was like, okay, this is probably a good place for us to kind of wrap things up. But I do want to remind us that, that while we have a role... That's what Paul is telling us. We individually have roles to play in the unity of the church, in the success of the church, in the strength of the church. We, once again, we are not driving the bus. Amen? The Spirit is driving the bus. The Spirit of God is in control of, the, of this. He inhabits us as believers. He is at work in us individually, and collectively connecting those ligaments, right? And because he is the one who is driving this transformation, who is steering this transformation, we have everything that we could possibly need. You're not lacking anything that you need to grow as a disciple of Jesus and to contribute to the common good of the body of Christ. You lack nothing. Uh, you lack nothing to grow up into the bigness of Jesus uh, and so that is a reason to praise God. And in fact, earlier in this, in this letter of Ephesians, Paul is going to say exactly that. That is a motive for praise. And we're going to praise here in just a minute, John Scott. But let's read this scripture first. Listen to this. Ephesians 1, 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Paul? Well, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, that's quite a truth to contemplate that you've blessed me, that you've blessed each of us, that you've blessed this body of Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of our relationship with Jesus. And God, we just praise you for that as Paul has commanded us, as he's instructed us. We just, we, we just thank you and adore you because of that, because you've given us everything we need. And I pray tonight that you'll put before me, that you'll put before each one of us, put before this church, this vision of this bigness, that we won't stay in this small little fishbowl of our own desires and ambitions, but that will swim in the ocean of our identity in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of things here before we sing. I did want to, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Jerry Lawless is here. And by the way, you look very dapper tonight. I feel very underdressed tonight, Jerry. Look very sharp. Jerry Lawless, long-term friend and partner of this church, uh, the man at the Red River Family Encampment out in Red River, New Mexico every summer. And uh, you might want to talk to him after church tonight if you want to find out more about that. John Scott and I have been regular participants, as was Prentice back in the day. And so much good goes on out there uh, during those few days each summer around the end of June. So talk to Jerry about that. And we've been... Uh, anyway, I'll leave it there. It's, it's been a rough year for you, Jerry, but... You look great, and God is using you to do mighty things, and he's not done with you yet. So let's worship together. Be standing, and let's praise, praise the Lord together.